Welcome to EdTech Insiders. In this podcast, we talk to educators and educational technology investors, thought leaders, founders, and operators about the most interesting and exciting trends in the field. I'm your host, Alex Sarlin, an educational technology veteran with over a decade of work at leading EdTech companies. Jordan Adair is the Vice President of Product at HonorLock, an online proctoring platform dedicated to maintaining academic integrity with humanity. Jordan began his career in education as an elementary and middle school teacher. After transitioning into educational technology, he became focused on delivering products designed to empower instructors and improve the student experience. Jordan Adair, welcome to EdTech Insiders. Thanks for having me, Alex. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So, Jordan, you have a really interesting history before moving to HonorLock in 2019, product at ExamSoft. These are both assessment companies in the EdTech space. Tell us a little bit about what drew you into EdTech and to the assessment space specifically. Sure. I consider my start in education actually beginning back when I was coaching football and basketball at the high school level. I coached for about six years and that's what actually got me into teaching. I was looking to kind of keep coaching because I really enjoyed it, but I needed a career that had hours that aligned so that I could actually be there after school. And there's not a whole lot of jobs that offer that outside of teaching. So I went ahead and got my uh, teaching certificate in high school. Social studies is what I was looking to get into. Turned out that the school I was coaching at, all they had open was a fifth grade teaching spot. Not exactly what I had in mind, but uh, it turned out to be a ton of fun. I really liked the compare and contrast between getting to teach the younger kids in the classroom and then coach high school age kids in the afternoon. So after teaching for about four years, I had kind of gotten a little bit burned out. I moved over to a charter school. We were sort of incentivized to teach to the test for the end of the year, because there was so much riding on it at the school level. And I had lost a little bit of the creativity and some of the stuff that I really enjoyed about teaching. So I was thinking, all right, what could I, I love the idea of education. I love the idea of being able to make a difference in the students' lives. So what could I do if I'm not going to be teaching that could keep me in that realm? And ed tech seemed like a, a logical step. I ended up getting really lucky in that a teacher who was teaching in the classroom next to me, she ended up getting a, a job at ExamSoft. She kind of opened the door for me, put a good word in, and that's what sort of allowed me to, to get my, uh, my foot in there and, and get started. And then it was just the right place, right time. They were building a product team for the first time, kind of transitioning from old school waterfall methodology for building software to a more agile methodology. And they were really willing to let me learn through a lot of trial and error and experimenting. So I got to see the product team grow there, be a big part of that. And then one of the my colleagues came over to HonorLock, kind of say, hey, it, it made sense for me to make a shift over and try to build things here from the ground up as well. So it was a, a odd course, but I'm definitely glad that I ended up where I'm at. Yeah, actually, I, I don't think it is that on the course. I think that's a fantastic, you know, we, we have a lot of educators who listen to the podcast who are, some of them are a little burned out on the classroom, or they're just thinking about what their career trajectory and, and they often do want to move into ed tech. So that's when you talk about, you know, moving through a colleague from the classroom to 
uh, to, to an ed tech company and then moving up in, you know, up within it and moving into product within it. I think that's a really inspiring story for many of our listeners. Well, I definitely would say that the reach that you can obtain in ed tech far exceeds what you can have in the classroom, right? I mean, it, you don't have the same one-to-one connection with the students, which I do miss to some extent. I actually still do some training from a sports perspective on the side, just because I like that seeing the impact on the actual individual. So you might miss out a bit on that, but knowing that, you know, a product or a thing that you're building is being used by hundreds of thousands, millions of students, that is a good thing to the ed tech space where the sky is the limit in a sense, in terms of what type of impact you can make on the industry as a whole, not just in individual students' lives, but, you know, many, many more. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I love about ed tech as well. You never get back that one-on-one thrill of helping an individual unless you're actually in a teaching situation, but it is a different kind of thrill in helping many people. So speaking of millions of students, let's talk a little bit about HonorLock. HonorLock is, is an assessment proctoring platform that uses an interesting combination of artificial intelligence, AI, and human intelligence to ensure that students are working with ante- academic integrity. Tell us a little bit about this model and how the AI and human intelligence work together. Yeah, so our our approach has always been this hybrid model where if you're relying solely on human proctors, like many in the proctoring space do, that that works, but you're always going to be hamstrung by the element of scheduling and scaling. If there's going to be a one-to-one match between a proctor and a student, or any ratio for that matter, you need to know how many proctors to have on staff and you need to be exact with that staffing, which means the students typically have to go through the process of scheduling their test so that the company can have proctors on staff or the school if you were doing something in person. So with this hybrid approach, it gives us a lot more flexibility and ability to scale up without the student needing to schedule their exam. Because the way it works is as a student goes through the testing process, the AI is feeding elements to our proctors to then observe a student when it, only when it's necessary. We don't need to have a human watching a student from beginning to end because the AI is doing that. And then in turn, the AI feeding the human, we are always reliant on the human making a decision. A lot of people across the board, whether we're talking testing or otherwise, are reluctant to give up decision-making processes to AI. And no one would feel too great about thinking that uh, an AI system is going to make a determination on if they're cheating on a test or not. And we certainly don't want to go down that path with our products. And in turn, our our proctors are not actually making a determination on if someone is cheating or involved in academic dishonesty. We're just simply observing the situation, taking notes, sending those notes on to an instructor, and then letting that instructor do with it what they may. And oftentimes, we don't even know what that outcome is. So we don't necessarily get the feedback on, on what's done with the proctoring results. But the AI feeding the human is one of the big elements that we it really is the core of our business from a lot of perspectives. It helps us maintain that human element while also uh, giving the students just a ton of flexibility. You know, if you're working two jobs and something happens, a shift gets changed. Well, now your scheduled exam is gone out the window and you might have to reschedule for another day, another week. Maybe you're up against a deadline and you can't reschedule. All that stuff is irrelevant with this hybrid approach. Yeah. So the AI allows you to scale 
and to remove some of the scheduling friction that comes with traditional online proctoring that's human only. But the human element allows it to be not purely run by artificial intelligence, which is an important aspect of making it humane and logical and and uh, not as scary to the students. Yeah, absolutely. It's really the best of both worlds, right? Leveraging technology to make a more flexible testing experience while also keeping that human element so that we have can make judgment calls and can maintain that human touch and actually interact with a student, right? Like one-to-one via chat versus having that all be automated or all be AI generated. Yeah, that that one-on-one approach, I can imagine, would be an interesting experience. I want to ask you about that a little bit later. But, you know, just to, just to keep a wide angle lens for one more moment, the online proctoring space for assessments may not be the most familiar space for those who haven't come into contact with that that part of the ed tech industry. It's pretty specific. Obviously, over the last years, and especially during the pandemic, there's been an enormous shift to digital learning, and that includes digital testing instead of in-person testing. Give us a little bit of an overview of the online proctoring space. Is it used more in higher ed or high schools, professional exams for adults, all three? And, and how has it expanded during these pandemic years? Well, our focus is definitely on really two major areas, the higher ed market that it makes up the majority of our existing clients. And then we've recently expanded into the corporate space, really focusing on certification exams. There seems to be a a growing demand for the online proctored certification tests. I think some of that is tied to COVID forcing that to go online and then companies sort of seeing a lot of the benefits of that and now wanting to kind of keep the ball rolling in that regard. And honestly, we saw sort of some of the same things on the higher ed front. It's really just the last couple of years have kickstarted or sped up a trend that was already in motion. A lot of schools that maybe had online programs or, you know, about a third of their students were at least enrolled in one online course. So they were using some type of online proctoring solution. Now that more students were exposed to that and not by choice, they had to because everything was moved online. They've seen, oh, this is actually a pretty flexible way for me to, you know, take a class that was scheduled at a time I didn't want to show up for or a more flexible way for me to test that doesn't require scheduling or showing up in person. And so students are sort of saying, even if they're not going to transition from in-person to being fully online, more open and more seeing some of the benefits of taking at least a couple classes online. So we're certainly seeing that trend continue. Like some examples, we had schools that as they started to move back and bring students on campus, their on-campus testing center was not necessarily staffing back up to full capacity they were using those in-person proctors to help facilitate online testing as well because the students were still preferring that method if they were offering both. So we definitely have seen, you know, the trend speed up over the past couple of years. And I suspect that that will just stick and continue to expand as time goes on because of the flexibility and how much uh, more convenient the process is for a student to test online versus heading in in person to uh, a testing center. And we do have some K-12 clients as well. But uh, ourselves as a company, I don't want to speak for the entire market as a whole, but we are primarily serving uh, higher ed in the corporate space. It's been an interesting through line of, I think, a lot of different 
areas in ed tech that the pandemic, as you say, it accelerated trends that were already moving in a certain direction. But then once everybody sort of tipped into it and really experienced a different type of of, of learning experience, like online testing and proctoring or being able to test without scheduling or going to a center, the flexibility and and ease of it became pretty appealing. And it, it it's interesting to hear that that is exactly what you've been seeing in the proctoring space, that schools may not be restaffing their in-person testing centers or that students are preferring online testing because it has benefits that they may not have expected if they were given the choice, you know, five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that in-person education is going to go anywhere, right? I mean, there's a lot of benefits to that too, the connection that you make with the in, your classmates and instructors. But there's always that one-off odd credit that you need that's, you know, at an inconvenient time, or maybe there's a class that uh, your university doesn't offer that you're interested in taking somewhere else, right? So really this the hybrid approach of in-person and online classes, I think that that's kind of where where we're at and where things are going to stay for the foreseeable future in, in higher ed. I had a friend in college who didn't graduate for, I think, two or three years. It was one was one credit or one class short for, for years. And I, I would imagine that the type of flexibility we have now might have really made a difference for her. The tagline for Honor Lock, I find really interesting. Call this the academic integrity space, sometimes uh, online proctoring. And it says online proctoring with integrity and humanity. And we talked about this a little, but I wanted to double click on the idea that, you know, why Honor Lock features its humanity as one of the main differentiators in the space. Well, one of the things that we've seen is across the market, there's a really big push in, in kind of like a lot of companies are looking at, all right, how can we charge a few cents less per exam? How can we make our AI 1% better so we can catch one out of every 10,000 students more? And that's sort of where a lot of companies have focused their efforts. We didn't want to compete in that same game. And so we've sort of focused on like you're saying, the human side of things, right? We, all of our live proctors are our employees based in the US, whereas a lot of other proctoring companies outsource that. And some of that has to do with our hybrid approach and the fact that we don't require scheduling, right? So we need, we can manage it with a smaller staff. But what that really allows us to do is we can maintain a much higher standard of service with our proctors and with our support team for that matter. And it really has proven to make such a huge difference. Like we've heard from a lot of students that have used other solutions and have used Honorlock and the way that they've been treated by our proctors always sort of stands out above the crowd. And they've mentioned how helpful our people feel our proctors have been for them and how the entire the entire approach felt as if we were there to help versus there to catch. And that truly is what we try to pride ourselves on as a company is we want to be a deterrent. We want to help the students stay on track. We don't want to catch students in academic dishonesty. If we, you know, we will, if we need to, because that's certainly what a school is paying us to do. But we know that the majority of students out there are honest. They're just trying to take their exam as seamlessly as possible. And that's, who we want to help do that, right? And we don't want to be a, a burden on them or any type of additional element of anxiety or thing of that nature. So 
that human touch is key for us and something that we will always maintain. We've even gone so far as to have, you know, our proctors go through some training with a student counselor to help uh, our proctors understand, all right, how do we de-escalate a situation if a student who's stressed out or upset is maybe being belligerent or pushing back on some of the things the proctor's asking them to do. And we have some other plans for further training on that front too, but that's the type of stuff that, you know, we really take to heart and focus our time and energy on. So it sounds like you're balancing. So part of the idea of the humanity is you're balancing the integrity, the ability to be sure that students aren't cheating on exams in various ways, but with not overstepping so that students feel over-monitored or overly anxious or sort of have academic performance issues based on the intensity of the proctoring. So it should be humane proctoring with a human behind it, but that still is accurate enough to catch legitimate cheating. Absolutely. Yes, 100%. And it, there's nothing, a proctor approaching a student in an aggressive way or in any way that's not helpful, it serves no one, right? Whether the student is attempting academic dishonesty or not, like I mentioned a bit earlier, we are not the ones making that determination. We're simply the record keepers, right? We're going to see what we're going to record what was seen by our proctors and send that on to an instructor. So because that's our role, we really, there's no other way for us to be other than helpful, right? Because that's really our task is try to get the student back on track, record what we saw, send it on to the instructor, and then let the instructor and student work out what happens from there. Because that's the relationship that should be dealing with that. Whereas we are simply like a source of information. So I think because of the role we play, it's, and a lot of people don't understand that, right? Students don't necessarily know upfront unless it's been communicated to them clearly that honor lock can't fail me during my test or honor lock's not going to be able to end my exam, right? And that's certainly not the the position that we're in or the things that we can do during a test. Yeah, maybe a, a feature, a byproduct of the fact that digital proctoring and online test taking is such a new experience in general for people. I, you know, I wanted to, to dig down, you've mentioned a couple of times the idea of students helping no one if a proctor is aggressive or students feeling, you know, potential anxiety. And in your work at HonorLock, you've completed a study recently about the student experience with online proctoring, and I think specifically trying to look at students' emotional reactions to this and, and how you can make sure that you're supporting. Uh, tell us a little bit about that study and some of the insights that you gathered. So we ran a study last year with partnered with one of our clients, and we ran this study over a little bit over 200 exam sessions. We followed students through two high stakes tests, basically a midterm and a final exam. And what we were trying to figure out is what elements of online proctoring are contributing to student anxiety. And what we learned throughout the process, we this consisted of a survey. We used what's called the Westside Test Anxiety Scale, which had been used in some previous test anxiety studies. We paired that with some proctoring specific questions. And then we followed that up with a focus group with some of the students that had responded so we could really dig in and understand the context of their answers around anxiety. So we discovered some interesting things. Number one, students are going to be anxious regardless of how well prepared they are for the exam. That was one thing that was clear pretty well across the board. That makes sense. No matter how well you know, you've studied, you want to make sure you remember what you've studied and you're going to be a little bit anxious. So knowing that, the last thing students were looking for is some other element that's now going to add on top of their already 
existing anxiety. But the study showed that online proctoring can contribute in a negative way to that anxiety and in specifically three main areas. The students were feeling worried about technical issues that they would not have to have dealt with in an in-person setting. So nervous about their internet connection going out. Is their webcam going to work in their microphone? Do they have you know, the right browser? Is their operating system up to date? All of those things that come along with using any type of app. And so students were concerned with that. Students were also, they had a lot of misconceptions about AI. They were expecting and thinking that the AI, number one, played a little bit of a bigger role than what it does in, the, in our hybrid model. They didn't quite understand how the AI feeds into the human proctor. But they also thought that the AI would be suspicious of activities that it's not. So as an example, students reference things like dogs barking, cats meowing, dishes clattering in the kitchen, coughing, sneezing. They were worried that all of these things would trigger flags that would make them look suspicious to their instructor. And our AI does not flag any of those things, right? Because none of them are indicative of any type of academic dishonesty. So we don't care about those things. There was a student who had uh, mentioned that They had their entire family with, I think, a dog and a cat and a bird kind of rent out an Airbnb around the block because they were so nervous about any type of background noise causing a flag or making them look suspicious. So obviously that student was going through all this trouble to arrange the Airbnb and get their family out of the house. And that's just distracting them from the test. And they were sort of sidetracked with all of these other things that they didn't need to be concerned about if they would have understood how the system worked. And then the third big thing was the proctor and wondering how the proctor was going to treat them. I mentioned a bit before, some students had experiences with other proctoring solutions. So they had already preconceived notions of how this might go. A lot of those experiences were not positive. Students that have never used an an online proctoring solution, they didn't really know what to expect. You know, is the proctor going to be on video, talking to me, chatting with me? How's that interaction even going to take place? And then is the proctor going to feel like someone who is there to catch me? Are they going to be nitpicking me on every little behavior, right? And so these were all the things that the students didn't quite understand that were driving them a higher level of anxiety on these proctor tests. That's really fascinating. So so it sounds like they were worried about both the both sides of the hybrid model in some ways. They were worried about the artificial intelligence flagging false positives or sort of noticing something random in their apartment or their their house or apartment like a dog barking and then thinking they were cheating. They were also worried potentially about the human element about the, you know, a mean or aggressive proctor and then the sort of underlying technical concerns. And I think it speaks volumes that, that, you know, from a sort of ed tech ethics perspective, that as an online proctoring solution, you really went to the, you know, went to the students and heard from, from the horse's mouth, so to speak, whether your solution was actually increasing anxiety or, and, and, and increasing tests and finding to some extent people were there, there were some issues there. So I think that's really interesting. Just forgive me a slight, slight tangent, but it reminds me of a couple of interesting stories about the past when new technologies came out. My father worked on the, one of the first generations of ATMs. And when ATMs first came out, as you can imagine, people were very distrustful of them. They said, you know, I'm handing my money into a machine, a robot in a wall that is taking it. And I don't, what would happen if it just ate it? You know, what would happen if it miscounted it? So there was a lot of this sort of anxiety about the new technology. And I even think way back to the beginning of when the first movie 
projectors came. There's a famous story about one of the first movies showing a train coming at the screen and you had the, the, you know, the people in the, in the audience, you know, dive for cover because they just didn't even understand what was going on. And, and it, it feels in some ways like this is a little bit of a version of that, you know, the idea of an AI and a human proctor watching you in your house while you take a test, people have all sorts of, their imagination goes a little wild about what that might mean. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that it, there definitely is a, we're at the very beginning of people adapting to this new method of testing. And really what, what was driving us, right, is we wanted to do this study so that we could figure out how can we improve our product to address the things that might be contributing to anxiety. And really what we ended up, another element that we discovered was I mentioned that we had done the study over two exams. So familiarity with honor lock went a long way in reducing anxiety on future tests. So it was once students got that first experience out of the way and they saw, okay, this was not what, this isn't what I was expecting it to be. It wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. The technology was easy to use. The proctor was friendly to me. There was no interruptions during my test because of AI, right? Now they, their anxiety was reduced in those future tests. So that kind of, you know, informs us on how we can build some better onboarding tools for students, a better tutorial experience to introduce them to all of these elements a little bit earlier in the process so that by the time they get to their first high stakes test, they're more than familiar and comfortable with honor lock and they've had all of these concerns addressed. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. The sort of familiarity and positive experiences with the technology and with the system make it feel more trustworthy over time. So Jordan, as a classroom teacher, I wonder if there are any lessons that you learned from that past life that you apply to your role as a VP of product. There most certainly is. First off, the connection with your students also relates to what as a product leader, you need to connect with your users, right? And draw out the problems they're trying to solve and help them solve them in a different way. But that connection is certainly transferable. And then on top of that, you are the user of so many ed tech products as a teacher. You're seeing what's great about them and you're seeing the flaws. And when you make a transition from that into the product world, that goes a long way because you you now have that empathy for the users because you were one. And you also really understand the use case at a deeper level that no one's ever going to understand just through interviews or market research. So absolutely, yeah, there's there's a lot that you can transfer over from that real world experience and uh, it helps you build better products. I'm curious about, you mentioned the sort of people were worried about both the aggression of a, the possible aggression of a proctor and about the AI sort of noticing things that weren't real. Did you find that if they did have an interaction with a proctor who and sort of got to know that it's a, a normal person and see how they react if something does happen that that they that their anxiety dissipated in that way? Yeah. So when we uh, talked with the students in the focus group, there were a pretty substantial number of those students that had an interaction with a proctor. And a lot of the majority of what our proctors need to do are usually small corrections, right? Like, hey, we noticed there's a textbook behind you. Can you please put that book away on a shelf or something along those lines, right? The student's not actually actively trying to cheat when the student, when the uh, proctor intervenes. So in those scenarios, when a student had these interactions with the proctor, they said that from that point forward, immediately on that test, like their anxiety entirely dissipated. 
because now they said they saw okay this is Honorlock's here to help because uh, now this would go out the window right if a student was truly trying to cheat obviously their interaction with a proctor would not be as positive in their mind <laughs> for those that are just having the the run of the mill small corrective actions to get them back on track they reflect positively and felt that their anxiety was drastically decreased from that point forward. So what's that? That's told us that we have to try to introduce the proctoring interaction earlier in the process, right? During a practice exam or during some type of onboarding, let the, let the students sort of meet the proctor, whether it's a, a true meeting or some type of simulated meeting, let them see, all right, this is how the proctor is going to speak to me. This is the tone they're going to use. And the way that we handle that is so much different than what they were accustomed to. You know, they had referenced proctors in the past that were on video or even over voice chat or whether or whether it be uh, through a type chat that had been felt like they were trying to meet a quota. One of the students had mentioned that it was a quote from this, the study, you know, felt like they were purely there to police things of that nature. So us taking that different approach and the students kind of seeing that that went a long way in having a positive impact on, you know, anxiety reduction. That's really, really interesting. You know, I mean, they have this term, which I'm sure you are very, very familiar with, but maybe some of our listeners may not be aware. Some artificial intelligence models keep what they call a human in the loop, meaning that, you know, it's not entirely run by artificial intelligence. Much of it is, but at some point, you need a person to come validate. And that's obviously exactly what Honor Lock's model is. But it sounds like what you're saying is that in a human in the loop model like this, if the human is actually upfront, if they meet the human and see that there's a human there and, and not only, you know, not only very, very deep in the process, but see, meet them relatively early in an in, in innocuous way, there are some positive psychological benefits. Absolutely. And and it's really about that transparency, right? Helping the student understand better the process, meet the human, understand what the AI is doing. Our our numbers show that only about 8% of students that are using Honorlock take a practice test. And some of that is to do with maybe a student not choosing to take it or in other cases, an instructor not making it available to them. So knowing that if there's 90 plus percent of the students walking into their first exam pretty well blind to what this system's going to be like and how the experience is going to go. That obviously is not a good thing, right? And that's part of the improvements I was referring to that we're trying to build. But yeah, that transparency and familiarity is certainly the key element that we've sort of discovered through that that research project. Really interesting user research. And you know, as the VP of product, you are you get to think about how to uh, interpret those psychological findings and transform them into meaningful product features. As you mentioned, it could be onboarding, practice testing, transparency about the process. I want to ask you a sort of future-oriented question, which is that, you know, as you mentioned, test anxiety is very, very common, whether online or in person. It's been common for a very long time. There's been a lot of studies about it. They Sometimes they show that uh, female students have more test anxiety. There's been a number of studies that show that. Some some show that students from underrepresented backgrounds might have more test anxiety if they uh, have what they call stereotype threat, if they're sort of uh, here a negative stereotype. Do you foresee a future where online proctoring could actually go all the way towards reducing test anxiety and evening the playing field, even if right now, it, it, it because it's so unfamiliar, it might enhance it? 
I would like to think so. <laughs> that we're certainly trying to move in that direction and uh, sort of have that impact ourselves, right? So one of the things that we're intending to do is after we make some of these product improvements that we're working on is to rerun this study on somewhat of a larger scale and see if the new onboarding experience that we've built has made the impact on anxiety that we're expecting. And we do expect that it will reduce it from a baseline level. Whether or not we can succeed, we'll, we'll see, but that's certainly our objective. And, and I do think that across the board, right, in the scenarios you described, if what the, what the students really want to feel is that they are on level ground, regardless of demographics, background, income, any of those things, right? And if an online proctoring tool, or hopefully we're the ones to do it on lock, is able to give the students that confidence that their experience is exactly the same as this other student, regardless of any of those elements you added, then I think it, it is possible to you know, reduce that test anxiety and create that level playing field. And that's certainly what we're striving for. Yeah, I think that's a that's an exciting vision. That would be and 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 understanding going and doing that qualitative research in the focus groups and the 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 studies that you've already been doing is I think the first step towards setting up a baseline and understanding where where is the anxiety level now, what causes it, and how could we reduce it. And I'd love to see a, a world where people uh, don't feel as anxious about tests because because it does affect academic performance as well, and it's it's something that scares many, many, many students, especially high stakes exams. To me, one of the most interesting parts of the honor lock model is how it, it really does use this sort of two layer approach, this human in the loop model. And, you know, I was looking into some of the history of this model. One of the really interesting uses of it was, was one of the most famous AI cases, which is, you know, when uh, Gary Kasparov, the chess player lost to deep blue, the IBM AI algorithm machine. And uh, basically, he wanted to dig deeper into it. And he ended up finding that when you put a human and an artificial intelligence model together, they would beat the artificial intelligence model. So that even though AI could beat the best human, humans plus AI could beat the best AI. And researchers have talked about this being like, because humans and machines excel in different dimensions of intelligence. They do different things well. So you found a really interesting use case for this, which is that AI is is very good at watching endless hours of people taking tests and noticing certain things that might indicate cheating. I imagine that's books, cell phones, various things. I mean, we won't we won't speculate here. But at the end of the day, you need a person to look in and see if there's something really happening there. I'm curious how you see this this human in the loop model playing out in the ed tech space. It, it could be in proctoring or in general, because it's a really interesting idea to have AI and human intelligences working together and in a complementary way. And I think it's also a lot less scary than a, than a fully AI future. What are your thoughts about it? So I think that in our case, creating kind of this feedback loop, right? This system of AI feeding a proctor, a proctor recording what they've observed, feeding that to an instructor, and then eventually getting that instructor to feed back it to us what their opinion was of what was discovered, right? This is sort of the ultimate loop that would then feed back into our AI and improve the accuracy there as well. And then this would be an ever-evolving, improving process. So it's certainly a part of our business model that we don't intend to 
have that go anywhere, right? It's it's vital to what we're doing. And I think that I, I don't I don't imagine that in education people are going to fully want to move away from human interaction, right? Like this is the entire thing that education is built on is the instructor and the the student relationship, having some form of connection, knowing your students so that you kind of understand the nuances of a situation, right? And that could be, that that certainly can fit the mold from a testing perspective. If you know a, st- a student and they have a couple kids at home, you know that there is going to be background noise. There might be a kid that runs in the room. Like these are things that you know based on your relationship with that person. So having that human as somewhere in the in the process, it, right? It, not just relying solely on a computer to make determinations is very important. I think in in the world of online proctoring and education as a whole. So. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think that uh, figuring out the right balance between the AI and the human is the key. And that's kind of the the thing that we're going to consistently strive to improve on ourselves and sort of what I see happening across the market as a whole, too. Yeah, that, that's a terrific answer. I, lo- I love your emphasis on personal relationships. I think every, you're, you're a former teacher, I think anybody who's been involved in education has 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 seen that that personal relationship that actually knowing students, knowing who they are, what they're about, why they are there, knowing what their life is like is a huge part of, of, of education. It's not, it's, it, it matters a lot. So that keeping that humanity in is incredibly important. And I think it's really exciting to hear that an online proctoring company, which you may think of as being very uh, sort of a, as you mentioned, sort of a cold catching machine, a policing system is really not thinking about it that way at all, thinking about it much more as a, a system that can that can maintain some of the real positive relationships, even between something fleeting like a proctor and a student taking, you know, a, a college student taking a test. It's a really interesting vision. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that this humanity and this type of research is being done. So we're, we're coming on time, Jordan, but this has been a really fascinating interview. I wanted to ask our final questions. The first is, what is the most exciting trend you see in the EdTech landscape right now from your vantage point that you think our listeners should probably keep an eye on? So I'm going to cheat a little bit on the answer. I actually don't think this is a trend that has necessarily caught on in EdTech. I think it is an educational trend that ed tech has maybe yet to catch up on. And that's the the focus on how to, and this is this has been a growing trend, I think, year after year. And COVID and moving online accelerated this as well, is the authentic assessment trend. How do we better assess the students that's not just solely reliant on a multiple choice, true, false test? How can we make that scale in the online world? Right. If you have a class of 20 students, it's very easy to have the students create 20 projects and you can grade them. If you're talking about a massive online class with hundreds and hundreds of students, that's not so easy. How do you know that the students that are doing this work are the actual students enrolled in your class? How do you even go about grading assignments at that scale? Right. So I think there's a lot of really interesting innovations that can happen to help support that movement. And I think that educators all across the the landscape, whether it be K-12 or higher ed, are slowly but surely buying more and more into the fact that, okay, there is there there must be a place for these alternative styles of exams for us to really understand if a student has learned what we've taught them. It cannot just be memorization or traditional testing. 
So that's kind of something that I personally am interested to see what type of new innovations might pop up to help uh, facilitate that type of assessment at scale. That's a terrific answer. 100% agree. I think that feeds into best practices of instructional design. And I think you're right. It's always been a little bit surprising to me that in many cases, the authentic task that students are being asked to master is something they would be doing on the same computer that they're doing to to access the LMS or to, to actually access an exam. So you would think that the idea of popping up a real software tool and having you having students perform within the software tool and that being an authentic assessment would be something we would have cracked by now. But I, I've seen small glimmers of it in certain places, but there's definitely no real breakthrough. I think that's a terrific answer. So, and our last question is, what is one book or blog, it could be a Twitter feed, maybe a newsletter, that you would recommend for somebody who wants to dive deeper into any of the topics we discussed today? So we actually took our test anxiety study and sort of converted it into an ebook that I would definitely recommend for anyone who wants to know the details of that study and the outcomes. Easiest way to find it is you just search Honor Lock student test anxiety, and it'll be the top two results that you'll see in Google. But that, that really dives into the details of what questions we asked, the percentage and decrease in anxiety that we saw from the first exam to the second, right? All the nitty gritty details of the study for those that want to dive a little bit deeper there. Fantastic. And we will, as always, include that the link to the study in the show notes for this week's episode. So you can find it there or follow the link that Jordan just named. Jordan Adair, this has been really, really interesting. I think you've given all of us a lot, I, Me, certainly me, and I, I'm sure many of our listeners, a really interesting insight into the, the mindset and ethos of the online proctoring world in 2022. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Absolutely, Alex. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the EdTech Insiders podcast. If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating and review so others can find the podcast. For more EdTech Insiders content, subscribe to the EdTech Insiders newsletter at edtechinsiders.substack.com.